My name is Sarah Vioso. In May of 2020, I was diagnosed with glioblastoma, the most aggressive type of brain cancer known. This is my spiritual journey of completely surrendering to God's will while healing my soul through His grace. Welcome to Surviving Fear. Episode 4, Humor and Fear. So, as I mentioned in my earlier episode, I uh, had instructed my brother that his job was to make me laugh. Because the seriousness and heaviness of being diagnosed with glioblastoma was just more than I could take. And my whole life I've done inappropriate humor. And I mean, I as I stated before, you know, I spent time in the military as an Air Force officer. And in my particular um, specialty, I worked with a lot of men, a lot. And I worked with some amazing, amazing men and women, but it was a field that was predominantly um, male. And you better come with a good sense of humor and some thick skin. And I appreciated that. And I loved it. That and I'm Italian. So, you know, we, uh, there, there isn't a whole lot of gentleness that goes on with Italians. Um, we love hard. We play hard. We do everything very dramatically. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm stereotyping, but at least I do tend to do things a little bit more dramatically than others. Um, but anyway, it, the whole thing is just to find humor. Like, that's so important to healing. Like, I have a book that someone gave me called Laughter's the Best Medicine. And I just find that when I'm laughing, I know there's scientific evidence that I'm sure I could look up that would say the endorphins that are released and things that get released as you laugh. And I mean, I always remembered when I was a kid, they'd say, you know, it takes it takes like 54 muscles in your face to frown and only 15 to smile. And I'm sure those numbers are wrong, but it was that old adage that came back that, you know, it's it's easier to enjoy and laugh and get through things if you're happy and if you aren't taking the world too seriously. And that just goes back to that whole world of stress that I've already talked about talked about before that you know, stress is poison. It's literally a poison in your body. And laughter and happiness fills you with endorphins and healing. And there's been more than one time I've heard stories of people that have been diagnosed with awful things that are healed because of their good attitude. And that doesn't always happen. I'm not going to paint sunshine and butterflies and say, well, if you're a cancer patient, all you need to do is laugh and everything will go be fine. And no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But it sure does make the journey a whole lot more enjoyable. Um, we would find, you know, one of the things I found funny, which might make me a little bit of an oddball and not, I don't mean it to be not kind, but it's funny to me to, I call it the brain cancer card. And I don't throw it often. Um, I like to use it sometimes when someone's in a regular conversation and I'll throw brain cancer in there somewhere. 
to make people laugh. It's funny because it makes them a little uncomfortable, which makes me laugh too. Um, there was a show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I could never watch because I don't like uncomfortable situations. But boy, am I being, um, um, oh, the word, sorry, words escape me from now on again, but um, being very hypocritical by saying, I like making people feel uncomfortable because I like their reactions, but I hate watching shows that make me feel uncomfortable. So I guess that's very, um, very much living in a hypocrisy world. But the physical effects that laughter and joy and brings to you, it just releases the tension from your body. Um, I just remember there's a scene in the movie Still Magnolias, which is still a movie my husband has not seen. Drives me out of my mind. And I'm not really big on schmaltzy movies, but I love Still Magnolias. Just the Southern humor that went along with it. Every actress in that is brilliant in their, um, in their role. And one of the scenes in the movie, if you have not seen it, is at a funeral. And spoiler alert, but sorry, the movie's been out since the 80s. So if you haven't seen it, then sorry, but I'm about to let a big part of it, a big secret out. But Julia Roberts' character dies. And they're... Her mom is played by Sally Field, and there is just this very gut-wrenching scene where, because the mother in the movie is just so together, she never, she hardly shows any emotion. She has a very dry sense of humor, and she is just like, okay, my daughter's dead, so I need, or she's passed away. That was a really harsh way to say that, sorry. But my, you know, my daughter is transitioned and she's dealing with grief and all these feelings, but she's like, well, I need to get this done. You need to call the caterer. We need to get this suit because she's going to need to wear that. And she just is very much, okay, she has a new to-do list that she needs to get done. So she finally is standing by herself by her daughter's coffin at the burial site. And she has the breakdown that you know has been building up. And I'm sure everyone that's listening can say that they've had an experience like that where something just builds up, builds up, builds up, and you've continued to bury it or push it to the side until you get to the point where you finally cannot hold it in and there's an explosion. There's a way healthier, there's a definitely a healthier way to deal with it, but this is how it was done in this movie. And she is just screaming and she is so upset. She's like, it is not fair. It's not fair that this happened to my daughter and she doesn't deserve this. She goes, you know, she said my daughter could run, you know, run to Georgia and back, but it, but I never could because her daughter in the movie has a um, chronic illness. And the funny part of the movie, I mean, you're sobbing. You can't help but sob through the part of this movie because it's just so, so just gut-wrenching to watch someone have to go through that. Well, an amazing moment happens where Sally Fields' character says, I just want to hit something. I just want to hit it hard. And I think we've all been in that position where you're so just don't know what to do with yourself and you feel like you just need to punch a hole in the wall or you just hit something as hard as you can. My mother-in-law was a genius because she raised three boys 
And one of her things she did is she'd leave stacks of old magazines. So when someone was angry, she'd toss them a magazine and they they could tear it to pieces. I mind you, they need to clean it up. But it's hard to tear like a full, a completely closed magazine in half, but it helped to get that tension out. And anyway, so in this movie, she's just like, I just want to hit something. I just want to hit it hard. And she's saying this through tears. Everyone around is crying. And one of her friends grabs kind of the crabby friend and pulls her in front of her Sally Fields character. And the character's name is Weezer. That's the name of kind of the crotchety, grumpy lady. And she's like, here, hit, hit this. And it just made everybody stop. She goes, hit Weezer. Half of Chickapin County has been wanting to do that. You'd be doing them a favor. And everybody's sitting there in stunned silence. And of course, Weezer gets very angry and asks her, her name, her friend's name is Clary. And she goes, Clary, have you gone mad? And she gets out of her grips and she goes stomping off angry. Meanwhile, everybody around, all the women that were crying, all of the friends that are sitting there mourning as their friend is devastated about her daughter, they all start laughing. And I just, real quick, I want to give myself props to the fact that I had not looked any of that up and I did it from memory. This makes me feel good about my healing because I could pull those names and where they were. Anyway, they all start laughing and Dolly Parton in this, um, her name's Truvy in the movie, um, her character is like the wise one. She's almost like the Yoda form in this movie. And she said, you know, you know, Malin is Sally Field's character, the mother. And Malin says, I feel so bad doing that to all of you. And Dolly Part- Parton char- Parton's character says, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. And there's something so healing about that. And sorry, here I'm getting emotional. Because the laughter through the tears, there's going to be tears in this life. There's going to be struggles and hardships. And if you can find a way to laugh through those, there's no better feeling. It's just such a release of emotions and calmness and the peace that overcomes you and the perspective that overcomes you when you experience laughter through tears. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on in this particular episode is where fear comes from. And I wanted to share an experience I had, and it was not long after I came home from the hospital. I want to say it was the day or the day after I'd come home from the hospital. And I was laying in bed and every night we all meet in one of our rooms my boys and my husband, Paul, and we say prayers together every single night. And I was laying in bed and I had Jake under one arm and Adam on under the other arm as we're laying in bed and their heads are just nuzzled in my neck and we're praying. I couldn't do it because I'm emotional like I am now just thinking of that. 
thinking of that moment. And it was really hard not to go down the path. In fact, I did go down the path of laying there, looking at my husband with my sweet, giant, smelly boys under my arms. And picturing what this scene looks like if I'm not here. Sorry. Um, trying to find a way to laugh so I can laugh through tears, but it's hard not to do that. It's hard not to try to predict your future. It's hard not to see. And like everything that I had been told at this point is you pretty much have been given a death sentence soon. And we all have death sentences. We all do. We're all going to die. Nobody makes it out of here alive. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There was a 100% chance that we are all not living forever. So at least an earthly forever. So I laid there and I looked and that was that sweet, tender moment of having my boys under my arm, just snuggling with them, my husband there with us. And where does my brain go? My brain goes to what would this look like without me? That's an attack. That is an attack, whether you believe this or not. But for me, I believe that was a Satan attack. That here I was having this very sweet moment. I'm finally home. I'm with my family. And it was just so, felt so good to be able to hold my boys. And then it was like, well, what does this look like if you're not here? Imagine the pain they're going to feel. Like, that's all the stuff that's going through my head. This isn't fair. You don't deserve this. Like, those are the little whispers in my head. That's not hope. And that's not real. And I've finally gotten to the point where I can finally say, you know what? Satan, you're not welcome. And I say it all the time because... It's always that negativity that comes in sometimes the sweetest moments out of nowhere, that you are so happy, and then that little bit of uncertainty comes in. And uncertainty is dangerous, and uncertainty really is just an earthly thing. God has promised to take care of us. God has promised to love us. His promises to us never, never change, yet the doubts and the fears that are instilled by society, by Satan himself sometimes, is by whatever army that exists out there that tries to make us not feel good about ourselves, about our situation. It can simply be stopped with a word of, you're not welcome here. I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. I didn't know. I didn't know what was coming, but I was fearful of what I didn't know. How silly does that sound? I'm fearful of what I don't know. Because my life could go a thousand different directions from this point right now. And I already had made the decision there as I was laying with my arms around my boys, with Paul there with us, that I allowed my brain to go to what does it look like if I'm not here? And I physically was feeling the pain that the boys and my husband would feel in their hearts and Knowing because I've lost people in my life. I know what that pain feels like. And it just angered me that I would sit there and feel that when I had so much to be grateful for. That I was laying in my bed at my house with my children and my husband. 
that's what I needed to be focusing on. Yet I was focusing on the pain that they may be feeling or they, excuse me, that they could feel if my journey ends sooner than I want it to. And that's not a great way to live. The fact of the matter is we're not supposed to know what the future holds because we can't handle it. Can you imagine if your entire life was laid out before you day one? This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Then that's going to happen. There's no way any of us could handle it. There's a reason why we're given time in 24-hour segments. Because that's what we can handle. One of the things that I would has helped me immensely with this journey because of the fear, because of the uncertainty, is to talk about it. And I know some of you might have just gotten really uncomfortable when I said that. But you need to talk about it. Because bottling it up is poisoning you. Talk about what you're scared of. That night, I talked to Paul. I talked to him that night about that awful feeling that I got when I pictured me not there while they were laying there and how much pain they would be feeling. And Paul reminded me, we don't know, just like he did in the hospital. You don't get to decide. The only person that gets to decide is him, is God. Just like we don't get to know what happens tomorrow. The only person that knows is him. So why do we live in fear of that? Because we don't know? Because he's promised us he's going to love us. He promised us he's going to take care of us. He promised us that if we believe in Christ, we're going to heaven. I mean, it's pretty black and white. And there isn't, there isn't doubt there. And I will tell you, here I am sitting a year later from being diagnosed. I'm almost exactly one year. I'm close. But here I am a year later and I'm sitting here talking to you. Now, I know not everybody's glioblastoma story is like mine. At least mine currently. I know some people don't make it out of surgery if they're even able to have surgery. I know some people don't make it out of treatment if they can even, if their body can even take the treatment. I realize how blessed and lucky I am, and I don't know why how that I'm this blessed and this lucky right now. Because glioblastoma doesn't go away, according to the doctors. I believe God can do anything. And I continue to believe that, and I will never stop believing that. God can do anything. But we have to allow ourselves to enjoy life and not get up caught up in the fear and uncertainty that comes at us from all directions it comes at us from people not aren't, that aren't even meaning to you know it comes at it from our doctors and i promise you my doctors have the very best of intentions all the time they want to look out for me they want me to be a success story but sometimes things are said that just kind of make me go, 
oh, you know, and it puts that fear and it puts that uncertainty. You have a phenomenal doctor that's very good about not giving me too much information and I appreciate it. You know, but along the way, you know, like when you read, like I open articles and they're like, oh, we found this great new treatment for glioblastoma and I open it up and the first paragraph says, 3% make it past five years. It's the deadliest type of brain cancer. Average lifespan, 15 months. That's what I read. So that's already the fear and anxiety and uncertainty gets just hammered into the head. So that's why I, I don't read articles much. My husband does that for me. He's a paramedic, so he can filter things through a whole lot better than I can. I'm too emotional to do it. So he gives me the information that I need filtered without all of those numbers. One day I think I'll be able to read them, but still, it's a slow process. But I want to go back to this is why you have to share your fears. You have to share them with someone. And it, by sharing your fears, you're acknowledging and validating your feelings with someone else. That's what you'll get when you share it. I'm not saying you have to go to group meetings. I'm not saying any of that. Find someone you feel like you can talk to. Sometimes it's a complete stranger because some people are afraid to share their fears because of they're afraid of judgment that people will find them weak. And that's not the case. It's sharing your fears is therapy for your soul. It's releasing them. It's surrendering them. It's not allowing them to control your life. It's people that can maybe experiencing the same fears. I mean, especially with, you know, right now we're just coming out of a COVID world and all the fears that went along with that, you know, and by sharing those fears without the fear of judgment, you're releasing them. You're surrendering them. It's taken me a long time to learn how surrender and I still need to work on it every day is surrendering it. Surrender it to the feet of Jesus. Surrender those fears. He's like, he's already said, I got you. Just give it to them. And I wish I could pull up the quote and I don't have my Bible in front of me right now. And I should have researched it beforehand. But Jesus talks about trading yokes and yokes are what you would put around an ox if they worked in the field, like as a plow And Jesus said, you know, trade yokes with me. Give me your yoke. I can carry that for you. Let me take that burden for you. That's what he's saying. Let me take that burden for you. Let me take that off your plate. You don't need to worry about it. I got it. And that's the thing is someone saying, you know what? I got it. Not someone that's a flake that says he's got it and then doesn't follow through with it. Jesus, the one say, I got it. And you can count on him. And I'm not saying that you're going to get healed. Oh, Jesus has it. I'm all good. He has a plan. He has a plan for your life. And it's better than your plan. That I can promise you. Because as I continue to still, you think I'd learn by now, continue to make plans. When his plans are revealed, they're always better than mine. Every single time. Um. When I was talking about sharing fears, there's a really funny, I'm sorry, I'm doing lots of movie quotes today, but I love movies. And this is an older movie. I think it came out in early 2000s and it's called The Replacements. And there's a scene um, 
Gene Hackman is the coach of this throw-together team that was the replacements because the football team, they went on strike, and so they brought in what they call scabs. And these are people that cross the picket line to play football. And in one of it, one of the movie or one of the scenes, Gene Hackman's character, who is the coach, say, what are you afraid of? And you have these big, you know, burly football players listing their fears. And I laugh because you've got, and it's a silly movie and it's funny. Um, and one of them says, oh, I'm afraid of spiders. And this big giant lineman that had to be like pushing 400 pounds is like, me too. I don't like spiders. I don't like them. And it's funny because just in that moment, in that sentence, it's, he's validated. The guy that was brave enough to share his fear was validated by the other character by saying, me too. I am afraid of that as well. And I think if you push away what society sometimes tells us that we need to keep feelings to ourselves, and I like to, and I'm so happy to see the dynamic changing there and everything shifting there that people are saying, Hey, you might get help, professional help, talk to your friends, talk to it, especially in this world that we've been so isolated from each other. We're not meant to live isolated. And I know I've mentioned that before, but we are meant to share and talk about it because when you bottle up those feelings, you poison yourself, you poison your soul, and you just need to break that bottle that holds them captive. However, you need to do it. Talk it out with a friend. Talk about it with your spouse. Encourage your kids to talk about it. Talk about what scares them, what, ma- what makes them afraid. And when you put it out there, you can. Um, it's amazing. Other people have insights that you can't have because you're so in it. You're so in the weeds that someone that's removed from it can see things that maybe you can't see. And God, all the time, and I've seen this firsthand in my life, so many times, especially in this last year, he uses other people to reach you. So by opening up and allowing yourself to be reached by others, God is using them to get to you and to give you that peace and to give you that feeling of comfort and security that you're not going to be able to come to on your own. So I look forward to our next episode together. I hope this was helpful. Have a beautiful, glorious day. Surviving Fear is made possible by the efforts of our executive producer, J.T. Henderson, writer and director, Sarah Viosa, producer and editor, Kristen Walker, artistic creator, Laura Ritchie, graphic editor, Linda Lee, and musical artist and composer, Adam Viosa.